This week's episode is a employment law special. I'm joined by Mandy Orlack of Talum Law to discuss all things relating to disability and employment law. We look at it from both the perspective of employees and employers. And the most important topic for me that came out of this discussion was a real and thorough understanding of what reasonable adjustments are, what they mean, and a good way to go about implementing them. This episode talks a lot about how we as neurodivergent individuals can advocate for ourselves and speak about ourselves, as well as giving employers some really sound and useful advice to start thinking about how they can protect themselves. So, I really hope you enjoy this, and as ever, please do like, subscribe, click the notification bell so you know when the next episode is coming out. And for now, enjoy episode 11. Hello, welcome back everyone. This is episode 11 of Talk ADHD podcast and this is a very special episode and again it's one that's been requested by so many people in the Talk ADHD community. It's all about the law. This is about what it means legally to have a disability, to be neurodivergent, to be in work. How can we understand what that means and what advice can we take? So I'm Delighted to be joined today by Mandy Orlack, who is a solicitor, director, co-founder of a company called Talon Law. Um, Mandy is an incredible font of knowledge. Um, and this episode, I think, is going to be so, so insightful. So, Mandy, thank you so much for agreeing to this. Oh, thank you, Matt. That's a lovely introduction. Um, I, I feel like I've got a lot to live up to now. Yeah, that's all right. You don't, not at all. So listen, I suppose let's start at the beginning. Um, if you can give people a brief introduction, so, so who are you? Why are you in this in this world of work? What, what brings you to being a specialist in this area? Okay. Um, well, I, as you said, I'm a qualified solicitor. I've been practising in employment law for over two decades now, so exclusively in employment law. Um, and I used to work in the City of London, worked for very big law firms, worked in-house. But when I was 29, I was diagnosed with a visual impairment, which stopped me uh, in my tracks. Uh, it made me rethink, where is my career going? Uh, can I work in the way that is expected? Uh, and it was a very scary time. Um uh, I didn't really know which way my career was going and there was a lot to take on board as regards my own condition. So that was my first sort of um, brush, if you like, directly with disability and my interest in that area of the law um, because I, well, let's face it, I had to use it as well. I had to request reasonable adjustments for myself so I know what it's like as an employee yeah. to ask reasonable adjustments and, and all the emotion that's that's tied up in that. Um, but then uh, fast forward a few years as well. Um, I um, have a, a two-year. I had a two-year-old son who stopped talking, and that was the first sign for me that he may be autistic. Uh, he was subsequently diagnosed at age three um, as being on the autistic spectrum, 
and that really then um, changed things for me because um, of where he was developmentally at that time. He needed a lot of support. And I just knew that um, a city life lawyer was just not going to be something that I could do alongside being an active parent, which is what I wanted to be for him. So I uh, took a bit of a career break and I started learning about special educational needs law because he's very young, my son is, and he was about to start school age four. uh, And I was quite concerned. So I took a bit of a break. And through that, I met Sean Kennedy, who is my business partner. He was very interested in employment law. I was very interested in in SEND law. And um, fast forward, we decided that we would open up a law firm uh, specialising in those two areas um, with a particular focus for us on disability, because naturally that was that was um, given our backgrounds. Um, I should say Sean is also a carer as well to his children. So mm. um, so we had a lot in common there. And that's why we decided to co-found Talum Law so that we could work around our own um, caring uh, commitments. Um, but also, you know, for me, as someone who's visually impaired, it actually worked brilliantly <laughs> that I could make my own reasonable adjustments. Wow. So first-hand then, sort of experience of having to ask um, and and the responses to that, as well as then the responsibilities with your son and then this partnership with Sean. Yeah. I think this is really important. This is why I wanted to talk to you. Um, I've noticed in the community people often look for people who we think get us. We want to know that somebody who's saying they're a specialist really understands and Wow. I mean, that's a depth of understanding Well, I think uh, from a legal perspective that's fantastic. Yeah. And I do think that if you have got that personal experience, you get under what I call under the skin of it as well. So it's not just about, well, this is the law. This is what the law says. It's actually really trying to understand that person's challenges. And and that's where mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, having the two practice areas as well, um, because we're really digging very deep when children are young. Um, And I think that really gives you quite a a really good understanding then um, of the challenges because it's not, as I said, it's about really understanding how you can suggest reasonable adjustments, how that person can be properly supported in the workplace. And I think that that probably gives the edge, really. Oh, yeah, without question. Okay, that's brilliant. So we're talking to the right person, folks. This is this is a good start. Now, um, I have a list of questions in front of me uh, that we've discussed, and hopefully in amongst them are some answers to, to a lot of the questions that people may have. Uh, and I think a good place to start is what I would consider to be at the beginning, which is this. Are you able to explain the legal definition of disability? Um, and particularly how it applies to neurodivergent conditions like ADHD, autism and other. Yes. So um, under the Equality Act, which is the big piece of legislation that we're looking at here, there are nine protected characteristics that apply in the workplace and disability is one of them. There isn't a separate protected characteristic for, you know, called neurodiversity or neurodivergence. So we're looking at disability. 
Um, now, a lot of people, and I see a lot of this, particularly on social media, where people make an assumption automatically that conditions such as ADHD or autism are automatically disabilities under the Equality Act, and therefore reasonable adjustments apply. That's actually not correct. Um, there are very few conditions that are automatically considered to be disabilities under the Equality Act. They're called deemed disabilities. So things like cancer, MS, um, certain, um, you know, if people are registered blind, those kind of very few conditions that will automatically just, you know, just the label will automatically mean they're disabilities and employers then have to do certain things, etc. But with everything else, so ASD, ADHD, you have to make sure that the definition of disability is satisfied. Uh, for those that are a bit geeky like me and like to know where you find that definition, it's in Section 6 of the Equality Act. And just to paraphrase, it's a mental or physical impairment. So here we'll be talking, we could be talking about both, actually, because there are a lot of co-occurring um, co co conditions with, with ASD or ADHD. Uh, so it's a mental or physical impairment, which has a substantial, so more than trivial or minor, um, so a substantial adverse effect on a person's ability to carry out normal day-to-day -day activities. So normal day-to-day -day activities are what they say they are, you know, things like um, conversing mm -hmm. with someone, uh, going for a walk, um, focusing, reading a book, that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's the normal things that you do day-to-day. So that's where you get right. definition. And there are essentially... Okay. So there are essentially four elements to it. So, uh, you know, mental, physical impairment, substantial, does it affect every, you know, day-to-day -day activities? Um, sorry, I might have missed one. But it's basically you've got to satisfy that definition. Um, and if you satisfy that definition then you can um then then an employer has got to do certain things like make reasonable adjustments but you get the protection only if you can satisfy that definition and you might be surprised to hear that there was a case and it was it wasn't in the workplace it was in education and i think it was a scottish case mm. as well um where the young lady in question um I did have a diagnosis of ADHD, but was found not to be disabled for the purposes of the Equality Act, which I have to admit, I was very surprised about. Uh, now, it could be it's just the facts of those cases and how the evidence came out. But it does just sort of make the point that um, you have to be able to evidence that you satisfy that definition somehow and the various elements of it. Right. And when does it become important that you're able to do that? At what point in an employee's journey is it important that they know whether they satisfy that definition? Um, well, if you have a diagnosis, um, you're going to, um, it, it's certainly going to be on, on your radar. But I think if you um, are having difficulties at work, you know, difficulties in doing your job and how things are done. Um, I think then to have an awareness that maybe there is something else going on there that needs investigating. 
because you don't need to have right. a diagnosis in order to get the protection. It's the effects of the impairments that the, are, are important here. Right. OK. So moving on from that, then, one of the topics that that comes up all the time when I'm when I'm teaching about neurodivergent conditions in the workplace, um, and particularly when I talk to HR functions um, and employees, is about the process of should we have to or when should we disclose that we have what we know to be a disability? So is there a legal obligation that we tell our employer? No. First of all, there no? is no, okay, so we there don't is have legal to. obligation, so you don't have to. But if you don't tell your employer and it's not on the radar, if you like, um, it will be very hard for then you to argue that your employer should have made reasonable adjustments or should have done this or should have done that because they don't know. So um, the obligation to make reasonable adjustments only kicks in when an employer either knows because they've been told by the employee that they have a disability mm -hmm. and they require reasonable adjustments or if they have what's called constructive knowledge where you haven't actually been told but the situation the circumstances would would mean that it, you you would be aware that you needed to do something Okay. Um, I, I, I presume that comes about in cases where there's performance issues or yeah, issues carrying yeah, out a role. Yeah, that, and that's usually, and that's what managers need to sort of be alert to. So don't, I mean, I'm not saying that just because somebody's performance may have been uh, impacted that that automatically means that they've got a disability. Mm. You've obviously got to be quite sensitive in, in raising that, but it sometimes that can be an indication that, that maybe they need a little bit more support, something's going on there. Okay, fine. So going back to this question for the employee then about is there a process of disclosing, would you recommend in terms of future protection, to use that word, mm -hmm. that if they feel, and the word I, I use all a lot is safe, if they feel safe to do so, if they feel it won't, detrimentally impact their career that it's a good idea well i mean there are certain the law is there to protect you as well if um you know you have been treated less favorably or or unfavorably because you have raised you know the fact that you do have a disability i i mean if you're talking about in terms of how you you raise that there's no right or wrong answer here um I think, mm. and from my own, based on my own experience, if I if I was to do do it again, I actually think it's a good idea to put it in writing, um, uh, because it can take a little bit of pressure off the employee, because you can feel quite vulnerable when you have to suddenly announce it or say it to your employer. You know, I've got this, and I know that mm. I did. I got really emotional. It was not good, and then the focus. You know, you yeah. kind of lose the focus. Whereas, if you can, in a cool hour, put down in writing, you know, along the lines that you know, I've I've um, been diagnosed with whatever the condition is. I have a statutory disability. So get get that word in because if you use the word disability, and it's why I always like using the language of the statute. 
it should immediately trigger certain obligations with managers. Um, so uh, I've got a disability. Um, I do require some assistance. I've been having a think about what I, uh, I require in terms of reasonable adjustments. These are my initial ideas. I'd like to meet with you to discuss it. Can we pencil in a time? And I right. think the advantages okay. of doing that are twofold. First of all, you've got a paper trail that you've actually told them. So that's always quite good. Mm. Um, I think it also, um, yes, definitely thumbs up. Uh, but I think it also, um, the focus then becomes much more, I think, uh, sort of takes a bit of the attention away from the person and becomes more about, okay, let's focus on the process and what we need to do in terms of avoiding that disadvantage. So it, I think it sort of feels, I know for me, it would take a little bit of the heat off, not talking about how it's affecting me. I don't want to go into the emotional side. I want to talk about what I need at work to help me. So I, I think there are some certain, yes. certain advantages, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, mm. You know, everyone will have their own way of doing it. And some people may prefer to, to raise it, um, you know, speak about it first of all. But I would say if you are to do that and being a lawyer, you know, we love paper, lawyers do. Um, I do think it's a good idea to follow it up with an email then as well. And also you've got a record of when you, you were told because there are certain time periods that you need to be aware of when things have to be done. So it actually at least lays down a marker and there's no dispute about when you, you raise that information, you know, you disclose that information. Sure. Makes sense. So before we discuss reasonable adjustments in some detail, uh, in terms of, you know, detail, is there a legal definition of what a reasonable adjustment is? Well, um, there isn't in terms of, uh, you know, this would be, you know, take flexible hours or uh, providing certain equipment is you know that the law can't be prescriptive in that way but what it does do and it does do this in quite a lot of detail it does set out and the relevant section section 20 for anyone who's who's interested um it does talk about uh, the situation in which reasonable adjustments arise and what the purpose is and the purpose is all about avoiding disadvantage and there are three situations essentially where it could arise. It could, you may need to make adjustments to physical features of a workplace. So, for example, if you think about um, people who have got physical disabilities, um, they may not be able to use the stairs. So they might need to maybe work on the ground floor of a building. So that would be an adjustment or you might need to put a ramp in, for example. They are examples of reasonable adjustments that adapt physical features of a building. Uh, you've also got um, what you call PCP, so provision criteria and practices. So it's looking at how things are done. So, for example, um, there may be a grievance procedure that the employer operates and uh, a disabled employee may be disadvantaged in the way in which that procedure is operated. For example, they're, um, they're not allowed to have um, uh, you know, it, uh, certain people outside who can help them or they're not allowed to or they've only got time, a certain time limit in which to respond or raise a grievance, which may maybe they need extra time to do certain things within that procedure, for example. 
Um, so there might need to be modifications to the application of those policies. Right. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, that does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, it it's really important we understand that. Okay. Yeah. So that could be policies, but it also uh, could be practices as well. So, for example, there might be, um, you know, you might have a way of suddenly, you know, maybe your practice is that everyone hot desks. You know, um, because we like right. to we like to mix things up. We like to keep things creative in the workplace. Yeah, sure. That may not work for some disabled employees who need to have certainty. They need to know where they're going to sit. Um, they may be distracted in a, a busy open plan environment, um, and that you know they might need hot desking just doesn't work for them because they just need to have their space with their equipment um so again right. that, that might be modifying that that kind of thing the way things are done um uh there might also be um uh you know other examples would be providing auxiliary aids or services yep. so for example somebody may need a piece of equipment which if they've got that equipment means they're no longer disadvantaged so um right you know having uh you know a specially adapted keyboard for example might mean okay. they they can they can then do their own typing or um providing software you know that actually helps mm. them manage their diaries or something like that um uh, so it, it could be, you know, a, an aid or a service. So it, there's there's lots of examples out there. And um, I actually do quite a lot of posts on LinkedIn where I've given about 40, I think, examples that is of possible reasonable adjustments. Um, anything is possible. Yeah. And you can sometimes, you know, you need a combination of those things as well. So it's about thinking outside the box. Um I think what people need to realise, though, is that just because you have a condition doesn't mean that you're going to have a, there's a set of reasonable adjustments that come with that condition. And I think sometimes there can be, I see things out there on social media which sort of suggest that. And you have to remember, though, that reasonable adjustments are going to be person-specific and they're going to be job-specific as well because they are they have to relate back to your role at work and how you operate at work. Which leads me on to another question, really. What do you think are some of the common misconceptions then around reasonable adjustments, both from an employer or, and an employee point of view? That, how long have we got for this podcast? You've experienced. <laughs> um, are there that many? There are quite a few, actually, a lot. Um, right. I wow. Okay. Maybe that's another episode. Um, and they, you think people get them and then suddenly they come out with a, a whopper of, of something. But I think fundamentally, um, the big one that I see is that people forget that if you are disabled and you are struggling, the purpose of that reasonable adjustment is to avoid that disadvantage because you are disadvantaged, you know. Um, so there is a, uh -huh. there, so it's about, bridging that gap so that you're on a level playing field with everyone else but sometimes that can be perceived by employers or even colleagues as being favoritism 
you know, why are they getting special treatment and I haven't? Because what they're not seeing is the disadvantage. They're not seeing or they're choosing not to right. see the disadvantage. So that's a really big misconception is that it's favouritism. And some people think, oh, well, it's I'm being nice. So, you know, it's, it's not about being nice. I mean, you hope that people are nice to each other anyway. This is a legal mm. obligation. You know, and so, you know, it's not a question of, well, I'm doing it out of the goodness of my heart. You need to do it as an employer. If this, um, and it's also, um, there is also a view, and I've heard this quite a bit, uh, about reasonable adjustments. There is a view that, well, if you're a big employer, the word reasonable goes out the window, doesn't it? Because, you know, anything's possible for you because you've got so, you know, you've got deep pockets, lots of resources, uh, and that's also a, a misconception as well. It is about what is reasonable. And there are a lot of factors that go towards reasonable financial disruption. Mm. You know, they're just a couple of the factors. So it, it is yeah. about what is what is reasonable. But it is fundamentally, it is about levelling the playing field, as I like to say. That, that's a, a phrase that I yeah. you'll hear me say probably repeatedly in this podcast it is about learning yeah, no, the- and avoiding disadvantage. Um, and another one I also get, and actually, um, when is this being broadcast? <laughs> Hopefully, our uh, is. Yeah. Uh, next, uh, where are we? 40, uh, 50, seven days from today, whenever that okay, is. 20. Okay, well, that will be fine. Seconds. Your answer will be revealed by then. But I, I mean, I just did a post recently on on social media oh, yeah. where I asked whether um, employers needed to make reasonable adjustments for their non-disabled employees who happened to be carers outside, you know, for, it were acting in a caring capacity for a relative, for example. And I wanted to just test the views out there. And so far, as of today, <laughs> the 15th, 77% yeah. of people think that employers have to make reasonable adjustments for um, people who are parent carers, for example. And actually, that is not the case. So even that is a myth, because there's a lot of confusion about, well, uh, there's something called, you know, discrimination by association or harassment. You know, surely the, that also applies even if you haven't got a disability. And uh, as I said, if you take it back to the core, what reasonable adjustments are about, reasonable adjustments are about avoiding substantial disadvantage for the disabled person because they're disabled in the workplace. Now, if you are a carer and you don't have a disability yourself, you're not disadvantaged in terms of how you're doing your job. Now, it's not to say that you haven't got any other recourse in law. There might be flexible working. There might be other protected characteristics that come into play. But but actually asking for reasonable adjustments itself, that's the wrong terminology. Right. Okay. So it's just a word we use a lot on this podcast is education, right? Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of, you know, and that's why it is important to to be using language correctly. And I do think there's actually something yeah. to be said about using the word disability. I don't think there's anything wrong with using the word disability. Uh, I know that some people feel there's a stigma attached to it. But I, as a lawyer, I'm very much focused 
about looking at the legal framework and disability is the language of the statute. And I think that they have, there are some distinct advantages about using it because immediately, if you say to your employer that you are a disabled person, it should hopefully <laughs> trigger in their right. mind that they have got obligations towards you. Yeah, that would make perfect sense, which kind of leads me on to the next question, I suppose. Um, how can employment law be used to protect disabled individuals from discrimination and unfair treatment at work? Well, um, as I said, if you um, start using the language of the statute, it should hopefully trigger in the minds of an employer that oh, that person is, is a disabled employee. We need to do certain things. Now, I think employers are generally quite good at not doing certain things because we've had discrimination law generally around for a long time so you know um, it's understood that you don't directly discriminate against someone because of their their sex or their race or their disability that's generally a concept that's understood so direct uh, discrimination is understood uh, even indirect discrimination people generally understand the effect of that because they're used to that concept of indirect discrimination. Uh, harassment, you know, most people would understand, you know, what harassment is, what it looks like, uh, and victimisation. So they're concepts that are already well established in, in law and in reference to other protected characteristics. But where disability deviates and is different is um, you've got something called arising from discrimination. So um, this might be a situation where, for example, uh, let's just say an employee has got a disability. They, um, because of their disability, have taken a number of absences. This then triggers the um, uh, management uh, management to look at that and to to look and say, look, you've had a bit too many absences. We're now looking at dismissal, for example. I mean, <laughs> I brushed the head. That, that right. would be there's issues there around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and let's just say that person is dismissed. Uh, the employer may turn around and say, well, I didn't dismiss you because of your disability. I dismissed you because of your absence. But, of course, the absence is disability-related. It's arisen as a consequence of the disability. So arising from is something that's slightly different from direct discrimination. That's something that I think employers do struggle with because, again, it's a, it's, it's a concept that has been around a long time, but it's not. It's only... Um, relevant to disability again right the other thing that really distinguishes and I think is the cornerstone of, of protection for disabled employees is reasonable adjustments and with reasonable adjustments you've actually got to do something as an employer and that, of course to do something requires more effort um, and that is where I think a lot of employers struggle but I think yeah. that so I think yeah. if employees certainly have a, a basic understanding of what their rights are, I mean, hopefully your employer would have certain policies in place. Big employers particularly should have, I mean, they usually got policies for everything, but they're, even your smaller employers will have hopefully equal opportunities policies. And they sometimes describe those things as well. So look to see what 
what your employer actually says their stance is, you know, what behaviours they will accept and what they won't accept, you know. Um, they should have things like yeah. that in place. Um, very briefly then on, on that, it sounds like there is, if you like, dual onus on employer and employee here, and particularly when we're talking reasonable adjustments. We're looking to overcome disadvantage, if that's the starting point. Yeah. It's for the employee to understand how they feel they are disadvantaged and what may help them. And for the employer to, to listen, to take on board that context. Well, I think... But I, I would assume that's not a done deal. That's not a right you've asked, you get, is it? No, no, it isn't. And and I should make it clear that the obligation is on the employer to make the reasonable adjustments. But that doesn't Go mean on. that an employee... Because I think it's, it's, it's key. An employee is absolutely an essential part of this because they will know yeah. how they're disadvantaged. Um, we've yeah. come up with uh, this concept. I don't know if you've seen it on some of my posts. I call it idle. And whenever I write about mm. it, it seems to really, <laughs> they never get great att attraction, but I keep plugging at it because I think it gives a nice framework. <laughs> um, so idle is, a, yeah. is, is um, you know, first of all, identify where you're having difficulties. Detail. So this is for the employee. So I see it as a sort of two-way process. Yeah. Detail. What parts of your job you're finding more difficult because of your disability? And then employer mm. will take that and list what reasonable adjustments in light of that they need to make. And then you evaluate it. Mm. Um, so I just think that right. that's quite a, a good way. Idle. Identify, detail, list, evaluate where you're finding those those yeah. difficulties. And I do think it it is important that employees do do participate in that and, and are open minded. I, I like to see it as a uh a you know a two way communication where you will you might have a very fixed idea as an employee about what sort of reasonable adjustment you require. Uh your employer might have another idea. But you know what? Try it. They're not set in stone. Um, you know, you, you should be looking at them periodically to see if they work. I would suggest that, you know, go with it. You try it for a period and then assess to see if it's working. Because that's the whole point. You know, it's got to be you want it to avoid the disadvantage, otherwise there's no point in doing it. So I think it's right. having yeah. that sort of defeats the object. Yeah, about having that dialogue. So I, I think it's Idle is the way I like to frame it, but that's something that um, that Sean and I came up with. Um, but so oh, I think it's great. It, Makes perfect sense to me. In any, in any textbooks, but you'll find it in my social media posts. It should be, shouldn't it? Okay, so let's step this forward. So we've got the basic core principle of this using the, the language of the statute, being comfortable with saying I have a disability. Mm. Um, understanding what the the disadvantages you're trying to overcome by asking for reasonable adjustments are and then knowing the employee has responsibilities let's let let's not beat around the bush this doesn't all go always go well it doesn't always work the way perhaps it should so a question i know that crops up a lot in our community in various ways is okay 
What steps should an employee take if they feel they're being unfairly treated or discriminated against? Right. Um, it's very difficult to answer this one in terms of um, what I'm about to say is, is just general. I think it, yeah, of course. The, first, the first point I would just make, make is that if you are in that situation, don't let things get to crisis point before you go and seek advice. Yeah, it's always better to be able to go and seek advice and have a strategy and know your rights because you might think you know them, but sometimes it's always good to to just to just check that with someone that you're understanding right. the situation is correct. Hello, folks, it's Matt. I just want to butt in here for a second to let you know that next week's episode of Talk ADHD is a menopause and ADHD special. I'll be joined by Diane Porterfield Bourne of Born to Care to discuss her journey in joining the dots between the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause and ADHD. We'll discuss PMDD, hormones, and a lot more in between. So, next Thursday, Talk ADHD is a menopause special. We look forward to seeing you. For now, back to this episode. There are a lot of things that are open to employees. I'm not saying any of these are right or wrong or that they'll even be a good idea in any given situation. But there are lots of things that you could do. You could raise a grievance, which may or may not be appropriate, depending on the situation. Um, sometimes, you know, grievance mm -hmm. is meant to be there to try and resolve disputes between employer and employee. So that would make sense to, to look at that. Um, there is sometimes yeah. some employers uh, will be happy to get in workplace mediators to try and mediate between the parties if there is a dispute. So that may be another right. option. Um, and, you know, the, if things really cannot be resolved, it may be that legal action is appropriate. You don't have to be dismissed in order to bring a disability discrimination claim. Um, People can still be in a job and allege that they've been discriminated against. Um, but, you know, I'd always say that um, it, it really depends what you want, you know, and you you have to, you know, litigation is not always the answer and can be very stressful. Uh, and I always try and uh, steer my clients away from, from litigation if at all possible. It's not always possible. It's not always the right thing to do. Um, but that, that's why if you are in a situation where, you know, things aren't going well, I think it's important to speak to someone who is qualified to advise you of, of your rights and to, to help you navigate your way through, whether that's to try and resolve it so that you can remain in the job or whether it's time to, to walk away. Right. And... You know, obviously your links to Talham Law will be in the, the show notes and we'll make sure people can find you. I would presume that when you say seek advice, whilst there is a, a plethora of opinion and, and, and perhaps information on online, social media, wherever it may be, the right choice would be oh, if you think it's that much absolutely. of a problem that, go to a professional and that's a very important point matt that you've, you've made and um 
yeah and and that that I think that's a really important key thing to take away that there are a lot of people particularly on social media who may be very well intentioned and may have their own experience mm. which they're bringing bringing to the fold that doesn't mean that they're an expert in law and that they are able to advise you so you do need to seek a person who is properly qualified uh, to be able to advise you on your your legal rights um, if you are yeah. unable to afford to go to a lawyer citizens advice if there are still still citizens advice bureaus out there working really hard but uh, that also fulfill that function uh, ACAS used to have a helpline that you could ring as an employee I don't know if right. that's still going now I haven't looked at that for a while um, but there's we a limit to what they, they can do um, but if you you know if you are just generally at the point where there isn't a crisis but you'd like to know your rights and you want to be informed you know by all means look at stuff online but just be really careful about who you're following who you're looking at uh and because mm -hmm. there's some stuff out there as i said you know i see people writing who are working in this space who claim to be experts in there and they're making all sorts of uh, you know, they're, they're giving advice like, oh, you know, they're making assumptions. They'll say that ADHD, for example, is a deemed disability. Well, I've already told you that's not actually the case, you know. So it's oh. just it's it's things like that. And, you know, I've been advising on employment law um, for over 20 years. And it still amazes me that disability discrimination and reasonable adjustments is something that people still don't understand. You know, I and right. I know that's a bold okay. statement to make, but we've had that legislation around for a long time now, and people still don't get it. You know, so no. just really make no. sure that yeah. you, are, you are getting advice from the right people. Yep, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, okay, taking that a step further. And, and maybe looking at the, okay, it, it's now got serious. The question I suppose I get asked a lot is, how does somebody prepare for something like an employment tribunal or, or a legal dispute that, that's directly related to that? Are we looking at similar advice again? This is where we have to engage a professional. Well, and the earlier I mean, the better. Well, I think, well, first of all, there is nothing stopping an individual from doing it themselves. But I think you do need to mentally prepare yourself that um, going to tribunal and litigating is not for the faint hearted. Yeah. And if you are not used to um, the legal process, it can seem a bit overwhelming and a bit intimidating. But, you know, employment tribunals back in the day, and it just shows you how old I am. I remember when they were called industrial tribunals. Um <laughs> And I yes. remember the very first time as a as a I wasn't even qualified, I was a trainee lawyer, stepping into a, an employment tribunal or industrial tribunal as it was then. And um yeah. and and actually being really amazed about how informal it seemed to be, because I had obviously grown up watching too much legal television drama. So I had visions of, you know, people standing up, wearing wigs and gowns. You don't get any of that, of course, in an employment yeah. tribunal. It's it's much more, I mean, there is still formality. Don't get me wrong, there is absolutely formality in procedure. But, you know, the grassroots, when you go back to what the, the purpose of uh, 
you know, these tribunals were, it was for an employer and employee to come together and to cheaply try and resolve their dispute. But over time, they, as lawyers have become involved because employment law has grown, you know, we've got more than just unfair dismissal now. Yeah. You know, we've got quite a bit more yeah. that tribunals have to sort out. It has become more formal. But, you know, so, so there, you know, there, they are places that you don't need to have a lawyer there. But I do think that if you don't have a lawyer, having someone supporting you through the process is always a, a good thing. And if you are able to, to you know, to, to engage a lawyer, then who knows what they're doing, then that, that's, that's great. Um, one of the things I always say that really helps, though, is to first of all think about before you just engage on a process, what do you want to get out of it? You know, what are you seeking to get, get from it? Um, always be open to the possibility of trying to resolve things even you know if things have gone sour and you've had to launch proceedings doesn't mean you can't settle them so be open to that and I think one good thing I, that I would give people any kind of dispute whether you're still in the thick of it or it's happened is do a chronology for yourself so it really sometimes helps to put down on paper what has happened in a, you know, I do it in a table form. So you'd have date, event, and maybe a bit of commentary so that if anyone else was looking at it, they could easily pick up and see the timescales and what's happened. And it gives you a good chance to actually see, has there been a pattern here? Was there a frequency here? And I, it, it also jogs the mind about what's happened as well. Right. So Makes sense. So, I mean, that... No, it does. It's a really good answer. I was just thinking in terms of going, so I'm stepping backwards. So let's say this process started because somebody asked for reasonable adjustments, for example, yeah. and felt that that request was was denied or, or you know, th there was an issue with that. Starting that chronology from the date, that, that paper trail from the date you asked and you got a reply and so on. That's well, all information, right? I'd even go back a step before that. I, I, I always say, right, okay. Right. I mean, it could be as, as basic as saying, right, I started on this this date. This was the day I disclosed my disability. This is a point where I asked for reasonable justice. You know, I mean, it, obviously it depends on your individual circumstances. I mean, if you've been working at a place for years and it hasn't risen, then yeah. obviously be sensible about it. But sometimes you need to look a little bit broader as well. Um, and... And you might see that actually things were already in place that you hadn't seen before. So, so don't just take it from the moment I've raised that because there might be other things also happening around. So, you know, this is, oh, yeah. this is just to aid you in your preparation and to aid anyone who might be advising you. You know, I, I always, yeah, I, I always say to someone if they're coming to me, first meeting, it'd be really helpful if we can have a chronology, we can kind of, it gives us a good starting point to to build upon. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so we're covering a lot of ground, right? From from sort of the point of disclosure or being comfortable using the right language about ourselves, understanding whether we have a disability in the eyes of the law, what that means as an employee, what that means as an employer. When I when I consult, when I when I work, you know, for think neurodiversity, one of the things I often say is, and I try to impress is 
the more it's a conversation between both parties, yeah, the better it is. Rather than a, like I say, the, the 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 scenario I've heard before is somebody who thinks that just because they've asked, that's the end of the conversation. I've told my employer I need X, and they go off and I shall get it. It, it can never, in my eyes, be that. Do you think that conversation is really important? And in terms of of, of the documentation that helps us as the employee with a disability that helps us regain some sense of agency of I know what's happened I followed well, a due process definitely um and I think it is a conversation you know um very often you might be looking at you know a set of reasonable adjustments it's not normally just one thing um, mm. and when you actually start unpicking it you you might actually find there's 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 a lot more that needs to be put in place so that you can really work optimally you know and really um uh, you, you know you sometimes you're not even aware of where you are actually you know because it's become norm to you you almost become immune that this is actually taking me a lot longer mm. to do than other people and actually by having that dialogue through because you might not have noticed things about how you're working but your manager may have observed no. things so yeah i think it is important to have that dialogue and you know i think it's also really important not just for the employee because they're going to be properly supported but if you are a manager you know you've got a legal obligation to do this and when you think about how much time and energy goes into recruiting people you know it's not always easy to recruit um people with with certain skills so when you've got them you want to hold on to them you know we know that um they're capable of doing the job they've got the core skills to do it but they just may need slight modifications to how things are done you know it so it is important i think to try and maintain that dialogue and manage each other's expectations and you know sometimes you, through having that dialogue you you may have both come up with certain views but actually find a third you know a third way of doing things a different way of doing things mm. actually really works so i think yeah. it's absolutely key that you have that and, and don't be afraid about having that conversation that's why it's important that employees do know what their rights are and it's equally as important that employers also understand um that you know that they have a legal obligation, but also, you know, what the parameters of that are. It's not a question of, you know, it, it's about avoiding disadvantage. And sometimes I have seen this where employees mm. was, once they start then asking for things, suddenly want things that are almost um, luxuries. You know, they're not actually needed yes. to avoid disadvantage. So you have to be really careful about that as well. So it's, you know, about both mm. sides having that, you know, dialogue, managing each other's, you know, expectations uh, about what is possible, what is reasonable mm. uh, and, and identifying. I think it's really important, particularly uh, for people who have got conditions such as ADHD or, or are autistic, that because they're not physical, they're not seen, that there are, those conversations do take place so that you know exactly that you've identified all the areas where they where they are disadvantaged because if you if yeah. you don't have it and that's why it's really important for employers to think about having a procedure 
and it stuns me that yes. employers have grievance procedures, have disciplinary procedures, but they don't have any procedure for making reasonable adjustments and they don't know how to do it. So quite often they're quite what I call scattergun in their approach. So, you know, they might they might say, oh, ADHD, okay, right, so, right, no attention, right, okay, so you've got difficulties with attention, right, so should we do, should we put this in place and... Um, what else? You know, that's how mm. and they're they're almost sort of blue skying and just ticking things out. They're not going through saying, right, okay, got this diagnosis. So where are you having difficulties in your job? What does let's, it mean? Let's, let's go through it in a you know consistent, methodical way, and then let's make sure that we we've, we've up, picked out everything. You know, um, so yeah, you know, I I, I think that there's 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 a missed opportunity there but you know i'm working on something so is this where you think training and education comes in you know i i I have a consultancy i work regularly with with corporates doing just this but do you think at the heart of it that's why this kind of training is important to help senior leadership teams and hr functions understand it's, it's not just actually this is a benefit oh Absolutely. But I I take the view that everyone's got a responsibility within an organisation to understand what the what the framework is, that their colleagues may need support um, and what their role also can be as, as well. You know, one day they might be managers of people who've got disabilities or they may themselves become a disabled employee, you know, um. I, I read uh, somewhere, you know, a statistic that said, you know, when you look at the world's population, you know, and remember, we, we're an ageing population in this country. Yeah, of course. And at some point in our lives, directly or indirectly, disability is going to affect us. So I think we have all got to, you know, we've got responsibility really to, you know, to be good people, to be tolerant, to understand. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, autism is uh, something I talk about a lot because I've got an autistic son. And I read a shocking um, a statistic about the prevalence rates of um, ASD or ASC is sometimes called. Um, mm. And I think it was one in 28 boys are being diagnosed. Now, they are yeah. through employees. So, you know, employers have got to stop putting their head in the sand and they've got to start educating themselves about it now that doesn't mean that they should think they're a know-all about it you know there is that phrase when i've met one autistic yeah. person, met one autistic person um but to have a general awareness about some of the challenges that people who've got adhd or, or autistic can have is a good starting point you know um yeah and then, I think we do have a lot more awareness about it. And through the work that you're doing, Matt, you know, I think that's a really important and valuable role. Thank you. I try. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot and feel oh, free no. to take some time to think <laughs> about this. As, uh, no, that's no, right. As, as, as a round off this conversation, which has been full of, of, of brilliant information, if you could give advice you know your 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 top tips if you like to both employer and employee about 
what what's the best things for them to do to have harmonious working relationships to to support each other what would you what would you be saying God, you, you left me with a great question there not, uh, um, not an easy one um okay uh and i may change my mind after i've said this but um i think from an employer's perspective if i start there because i think that's a little bit um a bit more straightforward and something i've been thinking about i think employers um you know i think disability is is sometimes the the poor relation of the protected characteristics in my view it's the one that i don't know for whatever reason people sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable about talking about i think employers need to start addressing that as well and taking that as seriously as as any other protected characteristic and i think that education is absolutely key to that because I think that is a bit of a barrier because disabilities are so wide so many different disabilities where do you begin but I think employers can first of all start understanding what their legal responsibilities are it's not just the legal responsibilities though it's also about having good practice so I I do read a lot about um and I think employers are quite good at grabbing on to good practice. You know, they, they talk about, well, we're, we're designing our um, workplaces so that they're more supportive of people who've got disabilities or their neuro-inclusive spaces. Brilliant. Mm. Do all that. Have awareness days. All of that is great. But at heart, if you do not do reasonable adjustments, which I've said in my view are fundamental to the experience of disabled people in the workplace, then it doesn't matter about anything else that you do, you know, having awareness days and so on. They won't mean anything for that individual unless you can no. actually get that right. No. And I think the way of doing that is, first of all, you know, have a reasonable adjustments policy. Yeah, because that's a really good reminder for you as an organisation what the purpose of reasonable adjustments are. It also manages the expectations that employees know what they are as well. You know, start having those kind of disability friendly policies in place so that employees do feel that mm. they're able to disclose that they've got a disability and they know what will happen subsequently. So start looking at your mm. processes like that. And and that yeah. leads me nicely into talking about processes. Start having processes in place to make reasonable adjustments. You know, start stop blue skying and, you know, having a disjointed process. Start actually investing in procedures yeah. so that you have a... Yeah, don't make it up as you go along. Yeah, that will instill in confidence and minimise risk for employers. It will also ensure that if you get it right, it's a win-win for employer and employee. Mm. It really is. Yeah. Um, and the training, you know, it. I don't think it should just be concentrated at, you know, within HR. Managers need to know this, you know. So it needs to be... You know, I've seen lots of organisations do maybe specific targeted training that HR may, may, may be useful for them, but also more general training um, through lunchtime learning sessions and things like that, that which they cascade down to every person in the organisation, you know, and start to changing yeah. your culture there so that it is, you know, people don't feel that there's a barrier to disclosing 
that they've got a disability, you know, and things like awareness days and things like that and having, you know, uh, employee focus groups can really help give employees the confidence to disclose. So that's what I think employers yep. can do. Employees, I think employees, first of all, come armed with, you know, education, knowledge is power. So do know your rights. And um, I do I do think that recognise that reasonable adjustments are going to be the main, I think, the main thing that will transform an employee's experience in the workplace. You know, and think if you can put that in writing, I always advise you to, to do so. <laughs> um, just because yeah. you've got a record there, there is accountability there. Um, look at your employer's procedures. You know, uh, if they have a mm. reasonable adjustments policy, brilliant, read it. So you know what you can expect. Um, you can, as I said, educate yourself about what your rights are and, and do that from reputable sources. Um, you're welcome, anyone who's watching this now, feel free to follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. I do write a lot about reasonable adjustments. Um, so, you know, you, there might be something yeah. of, of, of use there. Uh, as I said, you know, you don't just have to follow me. There's lots of other, other people there. But do make sure that um, what they say is sound. No, follow Mandy. <laughs> yeah, follow <laughs> Um, and, yeah. and I think, you know, uh, don't let things get to a crisis point if you are having difficulty. And I think real sort of alarm bells and, and, and points where that becomes apparent is, you know, if if you are being told that your performance, you know, isn't quite what's expected, if you, you know, that's maybe the point where you where you actually, if you haven't done so, you actually disclose that you've got a disability and you need reasonable adjustments. Those are kind of the pinch points where right. I see it really kind of coming up for people. Um, yeah. And, you know, so that's really that's really important to just be aware of your rights. Reasonable adjustments are absolutely key to, to you know, having a positive experience in the, work, in the workplace. Yeah. So as much as everything else is great, yeah. I consider that to be icing on top you get that right and don't feel guilty about asking for them you know um it's a right no, sure right have. if you know if you have a disability you can satisfy that definition and you know m most people i would say who have got you know a diagnosis of adhd or autism they're likely not always but they you know mm -hmm. it's pretty likely in my view and this is just my view uh, they they are likely to be able to demonstrate that they they do need that protection. And if you are struggling, that's you know just even more reason for showing that look this is what I'm finding difficult. And I would hope that if you've got a sure. good employer and they value you and they value their staff, they will want to do the right thing. That is a fantastic summary. Um... So, Mandy, this, like I say, that's been nugget after nugget for, for me sat here listening. Uh, and and yes. hopefully everyone, yeah, without question, hopefully everyone listening and, and who watches will get the same from it. We are going to make sure we share links to uh, your LinkedIn and to, to the business, to tell them law. Um, and I can only echo uh, what Mandy said. The reason I wanted to talk to Mandy is because she came highly recommended by lots of people and lots of people were right. Um, 
what you've just heard is without question the most sensible and and dare i say it profoundly simple advice when, when i cut right down to it mandy everything you say makes just so much sense but it's so easy to get lost in the passion and the drama and the the pain of being in these situations and and, and feeling and you know like we're in situations so that is absolutely key to it. It is about keeping it simple. But I think we as humans like to complicate things. And and I think we a don't. lot of lawyers also complicate this area as well. I think, but at rock bottom, it is about avoiding disadvantage. And if you keep that in your mind, you know, it's about avoiding that and a level playing field. They're the two things that if you don't remember anything else I said, remember that. Yeah, no, I get that. Well, Mandy, listen, thank you so, so much. Um, folks, if you have enjoyed this, please do the normal things like and subscribe and click the notification bell so you know when the next episode is out. Um, our next episode uh, after this will be with a phenomenal uh, menopause specialist, um, Diane Porterfield-Born uh, from Born to Care, talking about the links and joining the dots between the links between perimenopause, menopause, and particularly ADHD and autism. So uh, really looking forward to that conversation as well. But for now, Mandy, thank you so much. Um, that is the conversation that has absolutely been needed. Uh, and that was episode 11 of Talk ADHD, and we'll see you next week. So thank you all very, very much, and we'll see you soon. Thanks.